Well, good morning to you. Morning, morning. Good morning. Thank you at the back. Um, it's great to be here again. <clears throat> Excuse me, my name's Martin. Uh, if uh, you don't know me, I'd like to offer my welcome to you as well. Uh, we are, as has been said, we are in a series looking at prayer. Uh, last week, we spoke on the prayer of Jabez. Uh, those of you here will maybe aware that uh, uh, David Devonish was unwell, so uh, we preached David Devonish's preach. Someone said to me, it's the best preach I've ever given. Uh, I'm not quite sure if that was the delivery or whether that was the content. Uh, I'm thinking it was probably the delivery. Uh, the content was good as well. Um, but today we look at the prayer of Hannah. Now, this is part of a series that we've been uh, looking at together as part of our year, really, uh, as we've just mentioned, some prayer meetings. We're really trying to get into praying together. Uh, something that God has spoken to clearly to us as a team, uh, that in order to ensure that we are in step with all that he has for us, uh, that we need to be on our knees. We need to be trusting in him. Uh, Jesus is building his church. And so a way that we express that together, corporately, is when we gather to pray. It's why we're praying in the West, uh, why we've been gathering to pray for some prayer meetings here, for all that we're involved in, why we've got the prayer week coming up, and also why we are preaching on the subject of prayer. And uh, it's just helping me, you know. <laughs> I don't mean to help anyone else, but I, it's doing me good. Uh, and I hope it is serving you well. Uh, and we've chosen to look at characters in the Bible, looked at how they prayed and try and apply that straight into our context. And so today we look at a woman called Hannah, a remarkable story, uh, a remarkable story of someone's persistence in prayer and someone's trust in God, and also a remarkable story of, if you like, dry bones coming alive. Uh, I was really encouraged when um, we had uh, from uh, uh, Ruth and Richard, similar really, uh, one with dry bones coming to life uh, imagery, which some will be familiar with. But also that sense of, Richard was saying, that we bring nothing to the king. But he has all that we need for our situation. And so uh, we want to get into that this morning. Now there's a background to uh, this story. And I just want to give you a bit, of a bit of the context of what's happening with the people of God that brings us to this point. Because actually what we find... In, as with many of the stories, if not all of the stories in the Bible, there's the small specific detail of the story that we're looking at, but there's also a bigger story that's at play. And this one particularly is helpful to know what the bigger story is. And the bigger story uh, here is you can go back to when Joshua was the leader of the people of Israel. And uh, he was one of the heroes, one of the heroes of our faith, one of the heroes that led the people of God. But the end of Joshua's life, when he died and the other elders around him died, there was a transition to another form of leadership. It was actually what we know as the judges. And there were many judges that God put in place to bring leadership to the people of God. And there was a, if you like, there was some success and there were some challenges. And a lot of that was to do with, with the judges themselves. And, uh, and their walk with God. And so it was a time when the nation of Israel was very oppressed by the other nations around them. And the freedom that they experienced was very dependent on the judge and the anointing that God had upon them and their obedience to God. You may be aware that some of them had some real flaws. If you are familiar with Samson, uh, you know, amazingly used powerfully by God, but also very well known for the flaws 
that were in his character. And the end of the Judges, and even the book of Judges, it says these words. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. See, there was a longing for a change of leadership. And what we begin to see unpacking here when we get into looking at the Hannah story is that we are the, the turning point of a transition from the judges being in leadership and the kings. So we're at a, sort of a key point where, where God's changing to a monarchy. And in fact, the Hannah story is built around uh, someone that orchestrates and brings in the monarchy leadership for the people of God. And in fact, the book that we're looking at is 1 Samuel, and Samuel is used by God to bring the monarchy era in for the people of God. And so we come right at this turning point in history. And in fact, Samuel was someone who uh, anointed and appointed uh, the first two kings, David and Saul, you may be familiar. But in this big overarching picture of this transition from the judges to the kings, with this man called Samuel that God raises up as a prophet, there's a woman called Hannah. And her role in this massive story is significant. But also her, her story is very personal. Something that we can really touch and identify with. So, so often there's a grand scope, but also there's a, there's a person, there's a woman, or a man, or a family that we can relate to. And so sometimes we can feel there's a big scope that God's involved in, reconciling the whole of creation. We think, where do, where do I fit in that? And actually, the Bible's clear. We fit. God is interested in the small detail. And that's what we see in this remarkable story about Hannah. So let's get into the story about Hannah, and the rest will become clear. Now, I'm not going to read... Uh, from the Bible directly, I'm going to, as we often do, retell the story. And we, have, we will use the Bible at times, just to you scholars out there. Um, but I would encourage you, we won't have time to read the whole of this section. So the whole of chapter 1 in 1 Samuel, chapter 1, and a bit of chapter 2, I encourage you to read it when you get home. But I really want to just unpack the story as we identify what's going on here. <clears throat> Excuse me. So in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel we're introduced to a man called Elkanah. Elkanah. And we're told that Elkanah has two wives. One is called Hannah, the person that we're focusing on, and the other is called Penina. Now, Penina had many, many children, very blessed with many children, whereas sadly, Hannah, we're told, has none. Now, we could rush on in the story... But I have to go back to the fact that Elkanah had two wives. Did you have, sometimes I think we just say these things swiftly and move on. Right, let's get to the next part. So hang, hang on a minute. We are teaching from the Bible and the person we're referencing, this man called Elkanah, has two wives. Well, about that? Well, I decided to ask uh, the person I asked most of my tricky questions to, and that's Tim, Mr. Tim Green. I said, Tim, tell me, what do you make of this two wives thing? And Tim's straight-faced reply was, well, we don't encourage it. <laughs> Fantastic. So, okay, lesson number one, we do not encourage 
polygamy here. Uh, in fact, just so it's clear, the Bible is very clear, Genesis 2, on the divine intention from husband and wife. Uh, but what's interesting in Scripture is there sometimes the Bible describes something that happens. It's not saying that it is the prescription of how we should live our lives. Uh, I don't know if you caught on the news recently that there was a, a, a guy who was uh, uh, married to two women, uh, but the marriage to his second wife... Um, Anton, the Anton Deck show surprised the ceremony. Have you heard this? Surprised the ceremony. All the TV cameras were there on the Anton Deck show. And then his wife, his other wife, was watching the TV show. And the whole thing came. You didn't hear that? Remarkable. So it's also against the law, just to be clear. But we see Elkanah has two wives, Hannah and Panina. Panina had many, many children whereas Hannah sadly had none. And every year, Elkanah would go up to the central sanctuary to worship to make his sacrifice to God. And Elkanah, and, sorry, Peninnah and Hannah would go with him. And year after year, when he would come to the place of worship, when he would sacrifice uh, as part of that worship, he would take portions of meat and give them to his wives. But he'd always give a double portion to Hannah. He really loved Hannah. Really loved Hannah. But there was understandably maybe a lot of friction between Penina and Hannah. In fact, Penina was very cruel to Hannah. Very cruel. This is what it says about their interaction in 1 verse 6. Because the Lord had closed her womb, because Hannah wasn't pregnant, had never been pregnant, Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Every year, like sticking in a knife and just turning it. And we could imagine what maybe that was like. Maybe it was something like, you know, as they go up to to the place of worship, Panina says, children, do you have all your food? Oh, gosh, there's so many of you. Hannah's there. And then one of the kids says, Mummy, does, does Miss Hannah have any children? What did you say, dear? Did Miss Hannah have any children? Oh, no, Miss Hannah, she hasn't got any children. Oh, she'd love children, but she hasn't got any children. Can you imagine it? Provoking, teasing, hurting, very cruel. I remember when I was at school many, many years ago, if you can, I'm sure you believe that, and... Uh, I used to stutter and stammer when I was young. And I remember going up to my class teacher and I I wanted to be excused to go to the toilet. And so I began to say to the teacher, obviously feeling quite nervous, and so I said, uh, Miss, can I? But I came out, can I go? And it was like this. And the teacher mimicked me and mocked me back and went, and uh, my friends were watching on. And, uh, but it was just once. It really hurt, as you can imagine. I then kicked her and <laughs> let down her tyres. Actually, I didn't do any of that, but I wish I did, you know. As long as you look back, oh, you should have, you know. Or got my big brother on her or something, I don't know. See, we've got to get into how it felt for Hannah. We've got to understand how huge this was. 
every year. She must have dreaded going to worship at that central place because she knew Penina would be provoking her, mocking her, involving her, even her children probably in that moment, year after year. We read actually that Anna, Hannah just used to cry and wouldn't even eat. She was so distraught, so distraught, without hope, without hope. It's good to remember, actually, and I don't know how much Hannah would have known some of this, but, but it's good to remember that actually this type of circumstance isn't unique in our Bibles, where someone has been unable to have children, when there's been a sense of hopelessness. Just think of Abraham and Sarah. We know Sarah produced Isaac. And then even you go to the New Testament, you've got Elizabeth, who was old, we're told, and childless, yet she bore John the Baptist. We've got these remarkable stories, actually, and there's many others we could mention of how God seems to take what is a hopeless situation where there's dry bones but brings life. And that, you know, we must catch hold of that. I, I really feel that, that today is a day for life to come. And I just don't mean, and maybe it does mean this specifically for some of you that long for children. I believe it means that as well. But I think there's other situations that maybe we're facing that we are just longing for breakthrough. We're longing for God to take what is hopeless and bring the only that he can bring. Sometimes we get to these moments and we throw caveats in and say, well, we know the kingdom isn't here in its fullness and, and that's, we know it's true. We know not everything happens in this life, but if we're not careful, we rob ourselves of all that God does want to do today. And we, it's good to just allow the Bible or a particular section to say, God breaks in. God brings life. And stay at that place and trust him and pray into that. I believe that's what God wants us to do today. I feel across this room, there's many of us that have been crying out for breakthrough. And I feel that's what God has for us today. And at the end of the service, we're going to give opportunity for, for numbers of us to stand and to pray with you and to believe God for breakthrough. In fact, we know, don't we, that it's God's tendency, if you like, to make our total inability to be his starting point. Our ability to do, we can just do no more, is so often the moment when God says, okay, now it's my turn. Or another way to put it is our hopelessness and our helplessness are no barrier to his work. In fact, it's almost, it's his modus operandi. A little bit of Latin for you. It's Latin, isn't it? Probably. None of you are nodding your head. I'm expecting you're schooled in Latin. No? Okay, I'm not. It is Latin. Modus operandi. It's his mode of operation, that means. Hey, see? I surprised myself. The other thing we need to remember is this is the cornerstone of our faith. That God takes a dead man in a tomb and brings him to life. So this is, no, this is not new to us. This is what we believe is the foundation of our faith. And the New Testament says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in us for those who believe. So we believe this. Back to Hannah. So Hannah provoked, as we've heard. She would weep. She wouldn't even eat. And in her desperation, she said this remarkable prayer. Look at this prayer together on your screens. Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me. I love that. 
and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Long hair was a sign of dedication to service, to the service of the Lord. That's why Samson had long hair. It was a sign of dedication. That's what that means. In fact, in fact, the prayer is remarkable. It's not only just a prayer, would you give me a child, give me a son. It's actually, I will then give that son back to you. Of course, we know now, don't we, that the significance is this bigger picture, which is why that prayer is so poignant. Now, there was a, there was a priest called Eli, and uh, he would have known Hannah and... Uh, Penina and her husband, and he would have seen them every year. And so this time when Eli was there, he saw, he saw Hannah murmuring with her lips. She was sort of, we know she's praying to herself, but he was watching her and all he could see was, and he thought she was drunk. In fact, she, he said to him something like, get rid of your wine. And so she replied, you know, realising that, the situation had been totally misunderstood and said these words. Not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli realised his mistake and interestingly prayed peace on her, which is such a good thing to pray for someone who are crying out to God to know God's peace. But then he went on to pray that God would grant all that she wished. The remarkable thing is, and maybe you've guessed if you don't know the story, or many of you would know the story, is soon after, Hannah became pregnant and bore a son, and that son was named Samuel. And he became the prophet that ushered in this new monarchy this new leadership structure, and actually was involved in uh, recognising and anointing the first two kings of Israel. This small, delicate, sensitive, intimate moment actually had huge implications. And then every year when Elkanah used to go back to worship uh, annually to present his sacrifices as he's done before so, This time, Hannah didn't want to go. In fact, we're told that it was after the boy is weaned, she said, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. And that's exactly what she did. When Samuel was two or three years old, when he'd been weaned, she took him to the place of worship, met Eli again, said, do you remember me? Do you remember what I prayed? Said, the Lord granted me this child. And then he asked Eli, to take care of him, and he gave, she gave Samuel to Eli. Now, we do know that Hannah had other children later on, but we do also know that Samuel stayed with Eli. It was a remarkable thing. Of course, the big picture paints a perspective that really helps us. God was preparing him to be a prophet to ushering the monarchy. So what does this teach us? It's a wonderful story. But what does this teach us today? Well, as I've already said, really where I want to land this morning is for us to pray with one another. Us to expect for breakthrough. 
us to believe in a variety of ways that God is the same God. And God wants to bring breakthrough to many, I believe. And I want us, if you like, stay with this moment and just believe in the God who worked miraculously for Hannah. Let's pull out some points. I just have five, which I trust will help us in this uh, as we look at what this teaches us. The first is this. Our hopelessness and our helplessness are God's starting point. Isn't that wonderful? If you feel on empty, if you feel you just have no hope left, well, you're in a great place. Because that's the way our God so often loves to work. It's in those contexts that he brings breakthrough and the miracles so often. If you're feeling without strength, without resources, without hope, then I believe our God loves to stretch out and loves to bring breakthrough into our lives. I remember uh, Dawn and I, my wife Dawn, who's there at the front. Hi, hi, honey. Um, Not everyone knows you. Um, I remember uh, a number of years now when our eldest daughter, Esther, had gone to university and she started dating uh, a lad uh, who was quite a nice lad, but we really believed for a number of reasons that he just wasn't right for Esther. In fact, we, 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 we noticed the cha- there was like a change in her personality. She just wasn't full of the joy that she always had been. And, uh, and so... You know, I did what often dads try and do those moments, tell her that she shouldn't be going out with that lad and made matters completely worse. Uh, and it was really difficult. And in fact, all we could do is to pray. And so we cried out to God and we prayed. And praise God, there was a moment when she made her own decision and she decided that wasn't the path that she wanted to go down and thankfully today she's, she's now married to another guy who we love and we're so grateful for how God broke in and there's moments in, in, in life I'm sure you've, you've had similar where you just are on your knees and you cry out and you feel hopeless but we pray to God that breaks in the midst of our hopelessness secondly we see that Hannah is an example of persistent prayer persistent prayer. Let me read to you again the prayer that she prayed. Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. God knows. God hears our cries. God knows that we come to him from time and time again. He remembers. He remembers our prayers. And interestingly, Hannah prays privately. She prays privately. This is something she earnestly seeks God for. This is not some showy moment. This is something just on her knees before God. And thirdly, connected to that, but she does confide in someone. Hannah confides in Eli. She, She confides in him. And remarkably, Eli then prays for God's peace and prays that God would grant Hannah's prayer. You know, we need Eli's. We need people who will come alongside us, who will stand with us, who will pray for God's peace, who will pray that God would grant the answer to our prayers. I remember when Dawn and I were struggling with some of the decisions our daughter was was making. 
Uh, by the way, she's happy for me to share these stories. Wouldn't that be terrible if she didn't want me to? <laughs> and uh, I meant to my dad, who was in the first meeting, and I said to dad, look, we are not, we are really not, it just doesn't feel right. We are not at peace about this relationship. And I explained, I tried to tell Esther what she should do and how unhelpful that would be. And I said, Dad, you know, she, I, she may marry him. And Dad turned around to me, he said, yeah, you're right. And that's all he said. And it was like, it lifted something, if I'm explaining this clearly. It was almost like, the only thing I can do is pray. I can't change this. I can't influence this. And almost I came to terms with where I was. I said, yeah, but she, she might marry him. He said, yeah, that's right. If she loves him, that, and he, that's what might happen. Oh, okay. You know, I was expecting words of wisdom. Well, you need to do this, you need to do that. He said, no. You know, and there was almost a realization that, that that's what might happen. And sometimes that does happen. And so we pray. But we pray in a different way. We pray with a sense of, okay, we, we know God's peace. We, we, there's a perspective here. We need to confide in Eli's. We need to find our Eli's. If you're in a community group, that's a great place to find an Eli. If you're not, then I encourage you to connect with others, uh, maybe in a community group, maybe in another way. Fourthly, there's always a bigger story. Hannah didn't realise that Actually, her story, her predicament when she's crying out to God was part of God's plan to raise up a prophet that was going to bring in the monarchy. How could she ever have known that? And we don't know what big story, what bigger story God has involved in the context or the predicament that we find ourselves in. And sometimes we just have to trust that God knows. And I realise that not always God answers the prayer how we would want him to answer but we do believe in a God that is bigger than the situation and is bigger than our moment. And even if the prayer doesn't answer in the way that we want it to be answered, we have a God that's bigger than all of that. There's always a bigger story. And fifthly and finally, and then I'd love us to get back to how we respond this morning. Just a little note for parents. If you want your kids to learn about God, it's first got to be very real in your life. So Hannah is a wonderful example of a mother who demonstrated how central God was to her life. That was a model. That was a model for Samuel. Now, of course, it was worked out in a dramatic way, but actually a very, very helpful way. So, where does this leave us? I really felt as I was praying today to make this a short preach, which is always good news, I know. But it's because I wanted to leave time at the end. I want to leave time for us to have opportunity to respond if you are currently or you have been for a while in a situation where you are longing for breakthrough. Probably, and it was the case in the first meeting, there will be many of us. It could be, it could be the example that we see in Hannah. You might be longing for children. But that is just one opportunity, one situation that I feel God will want to, to work in this morning. It may be for you that you have friends or family that are far away from God and you're longing and you've been praying for them for many years. It may be that you have financial challenges or you need a job or you have relationships that are broken down and you've been wanting them to be restored or you have 
other areas that you just need God to move powerfully. I think, I think this is a moment for us to stand together. I think it's a moment for us to pray out together, a moment to trust God for breakthrough. Is that okay? All right. Quite simple, what I would like us to do in a moment is if you know there's something you're longing, you've been praying for this, and you want to see God breakthrough, in a moment I'd like you to stand. Those of you who don't stand, we all have a role today because we're going to be Eli's. We're going to help. We're going to stand alongside. We're going to pray that God grants that prayer. Is that all right? And so if you know that there's stuff that, that you just need God to see breakthrough, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to be embarrassed or anything. It's be quite straightforward. Just like you to stand in your place now. Thank you. Fantastic. So if others who are now called Eli could just look around. What I'd love us to do in a minute is go and stand alongside so everyone has a person standing alongside them. Now, it might be simply you just stand in your seat because the person is next to you. And uh, that would be good. And then when you do that, I'd like you to ask them, what is it they'd like to see God do? Now, I just want to say, those of you who have stood... If you prefer not to say what that is, I'd prefer not to say what that is. We're going to pray for you anyway. That's absolutely fine. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. But for many, it will be helpful just to share what they're praying for. In the first meeting, let me give you one example. Someone was responded because they've got a family member who is in their 80s, who is very ill, uh, and, and they're, stru- they're working through the fact that they're likely to die, how, that, how that's going to work out, what should they pray for. The person who stood alongside them was someone who lost their brother two days ago. And they were able to help. Eli came in there. God provided an Eli. Do you hear me? And so, so we're trusting God in every moment. Uh, but as I say, if you prefer not to share, that's absolutely fine. So please, Eli's, would you please go and stand alongside Uh, those that are stood um, that would be really helpful thank you in fact those who are responding for prayer could you just raise your hand because we may it may be difficult to know who's who when people start so if you and if you have an e-line next to you then you can put your hand down if you haven't keep please keep your hand nice and high Let me just pray from the front. I I really would love to do that first. And then I'd just encourage you just to pray as you were. Is that all right? I'll do that while you pray. Jesus, we pray, would you come and bring breakthrough into lives right now? Whatever they are calling out to you for, Lord, we thank you for their faithfulness in persistent prayer. But Lord, we know there's moments when you bring that supernatural breakthrough, when you bring uh, dry bones to life. And God, we pray for the dry bones that are represented today uh, in this meeting. We pray, would you bring them alive in Jesus' name? Lord, whatever that represents, whether it's lost loved ones which are far from you, whether it's illness in family members, whether it's a lack of provision, whether it's a need of a new job, whether it's restoring relationships, whatever it is, we pray, God, would you bring your breakthrough right now in Jesus' name? We proclaim, we declare dry bones come alive in Jesus' name. We believe in you, God, and we thank you that you've given us the story of Hannah to give us hope where we are lacking any hope. 
We thank you, God, that you've given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. So we pray, Spirit of God, would you move powerfully in those responding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now please carry on praying. Carry on praying. And those of you who respond who haven't got people with you, we will get to you in a short while. Jesus, we pray, would you continue? Bring breakthrough, God, we pray.